This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 45. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's episode, Objectionable Objections, when opposing lawyers blurt out that they don't understand your question. So today's episode is based on an emailed question from a listener who says as follows, I'm an attorney based out of New York and relatively new to federal civil litigation. I came across your podcast a few weeks ago and find them to be very insightful and helpful. I also just purchased your book, which, like your podcasts, are filled with great insight. I've started to take depositions in recent months, and a number of issues have repeatedly come up that I would like to ask you about, if you don't mind, so that I can be better equipped to deal with them as I move forward in my career. And the email continues as follows. I've been taking depositions where opposing counsel objects to form and then says things like, vague, I don't understand your question, are you talking about one specific point in time or generally? And that's a confusing question. Opposing counsel has been quite difficult and is undoubtedly doing this to interrupt my rhythm as he knows I am new at this, as well as to suggest to the witness to likewise answer in similar fashion. And the email continues, I previously offered to stipulate to him just saying form and that would cover his objections a trick I learned from your podcast, but he refused. I have a deposition coming up soon where he will be defending, and I know he's going to do this again. I also know that even if I warn him to stop, he won't. How would you deal with this, short of stopping the deposition, as it has been difficult enough to schedule the deposition, and I don't want to go down that path? Do I have any recourse after the deposition concludes as far as seeking sanctions? So this lawyer is right to be concerned about the purported confusion by the defending lawyer. Courts have said over and again, it's not the province of the defending lawyer to disrupt the deposition by professing not to understand the question. It's coaching, it's a speaking objection, and it's improper. You can see the supporting cases in the show notes to get your research started on this point. And by the way, we sometimes include so many case sites in the show notes that you may not see all of the cases we've listed on whatever site where you're getting the podcast. But you can usually go to the bottom of the show notes wherever you're listening to the podcast and you'll see something that says you can click through to the episode homepage. That will take you to the hosting site where you will be able to find all of the cases actually listed in the notes. All right, back to the issue at hand. So apart from being technically improper, it's also obviously very frustrating when a defending lawyer wants to engage you in dialogue. First, it sends a clear message to the deponent that your question might pose a problem for them. Deponents pick up on those cues very quickly, as you know, and frankly, sometimes even if the deponent felt like they understood the question, they're now more likely to think, well, if this highly educated lawyer says he doesn't or she doesn't understand it, then maybe it doesn't mean what I think. So this kind of uh, effort to engage you in colloquy is disruptive to the testimony, slows the examination down, interrupts the flow. And these objections can come in all kinds of ways. It can be something like any of the following. Uh, Counsel, I don't understand what you're asking. Counsel, I think the witness is confused about your question. Can you clarify what you're getting at? Are you talking about this or that? Sometimes it's just a tip to the witness, as in, you can answer if you know. Now, some lawyers defending a deposition might well have a pure heart in speaking up like this. I'm sure that happens. 
but most litigators with any experience at all understand the basic rules about objections in depositions. The word form alone works 99% of the time. Objection form works too, but since the word form indicates both that you are making an objection and that the objection is to form, then objection form seems to me to be unnecessarily clunky. Form by itself works just fine. And a general form objection covers vagueness. So if your opposing number is running interference in the deposition with commentary about the vagueness or clarity of the question, you've got to put a stop to it. And here's how I do it. First, I lay the foundation at the beginning of the deposition in my preliminary instructions by asking deponents to agree to do two things. First, I ask them to answer the questions fully and completely when they understand them. Second, I ask deponents to agree that they will not answer a question they don't understand, but instead to please simply tell me that they don't understand the question or tell me that I need to rephrase it. I ask deponents if they will agree to this protocol and all of them say yes. Now I do that for many reasons. One is to prevent witnesses from backtracking on me later in an errata sheet, in an affidavit, or at trial. I want the record from the deposition to be clear that the witness had a chance to say they didn't understand the question if they truly didn't understand it. And I want to be able to show the judge or jury that they didn't indicate confusion at the time the question was asked and at the time they answered it. But a second reason I do that is to combat speaking objections and coaching from opposing lawyers who claim while I'm examining the deponent that they don't understand the question. With the preliminary instructions, the witnesses have testified in the presence of the defending lawyers that the witness is entirely capable on their own of signaling their uncertainty. They agreed to my protocol, so there's no reason for the defending lawyer to get in the way. Now, assuming the lawyer is speaking up for the first time in a deposition with something like, I don't understand your question, I generally continue looking straight at the witness. So if you were sitting across the table from me and you said, Jim, I don't understand your question, I wouldn't look at you and I wouldn't respond. I keep my focus directly and solely on the witness and I respectfully press the witness for a response. In other words, I treat the opposing lawyers as if they'd said nothing. I do this the first time a defending lawyer interrupts with a claim of confusion about my questions because to engage defending lawyers like that is to buy into their disruption. If witnesses immediately respond as they often might with something like, mm, yeah, I didn't understand the question, I politely remind them of their promise at the outset to let me know if they didn't understand the question. I may then ask the deponent to reaffirm that he or she will answer questions when they understand them and to specifically say they don't understand the question if they don't so that I can rephrase it. So if it's happened just once, there's no reason to go overboard in how you handle it. I'm not suggesting that you go off on the opposing lawyer and the witness the very first time it happens. There's got to be some leeway there. Obviously, you've got to use common sense and apply judgment under the circumstances. But a firm controlling response like that, continuing to stay with the witness, disregarding the commentary by the lawyer, will almost always be sufficient. What I don't do, as I say, just to be clear, is bite on the lawyer's invitation for disruptive dialogue. To me, that's a loser's game. And engaging the defending lawyer in conversation about what a question means, to me, legitimizes the misconduct. And it also invites a lot more of it. 
Now, if it happens a second time, that's usually when I start my conferral, meaning the conferral required by federal and most state rules before involving a court in a discovery dispute with the opposing lawyer. As I've mentioned in prior podcasts and as I mentioned in the books, I always have a folder available in depositions with case citations to cover the most common types of misconduct. And there are plenty of cases on this very issue. Courts have said over and over, it doesn't matter that the opposing lawyer doesn't understand the question. The lawyer can make objections. That's the very reason objections exist. But it's not a defending lawyer's place to engage in dialogue with the examiner about what the question means while the deposition is underway. Now, if you needed further reinforcement on this point, remember too that uh, Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 30C1 says that the examination and cross-examination of a deponent is to proceed as they would at trial. And you know there isn't a judge in the country that would allow a lawyer who's defending a witness at trial to stand up and say, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're asking me. Can you please clarify? What the lawyer would do at trial and what the lawyer should do in deposition is to make the objection. So if needed, I will hand a defending lawyer several of the cases on point about asking for clarification and ask them to stop. As a rule, most lawyers will not continue with this conduct when they've been handed a stack of cases saying it is clearly improper and frequently sanctionable to engage in that kind of conduct. Now, some will. Some will continue the conduct. Some just don't care. And if it gets to a point in the deposition where I feel the lawyer's actions in feigning confusion about my questions is genuinely disrupting the deposition in a prejudicial way, I'm then likely to stop the deposition and try to reach the judge or magistrate. If I know in advance I'm going to be dealing with an obstructive lawyer, I may call the judge's chambers before the start of the deposition to verify that the judge or magistrate is available in case I need them. If you do call the judge mid-deposition, you want to make sure that you or an associate or the reporter can quickly bring up the instances in which the defending lawyer uh, made those coaching objections and claimed not to understand the question. You're going to want to be able to provide immediate multiple examples of exactly what the lawyer said. Most judges will only need to hear two or three or four examples before they're going to interrupt you, turn to the defending lawyer, and open fire. It's not a close call. If you have what I call your deposition misconduct toolkit with you, meaning a folder with case citations on this point, you're also going to be fully loaded for legal argument as well if the judge needs it. Here's another point, by the way. I, I never go off the record to have conversations with opposing lawyers about their conduct. You shouldn't either. All of those conversations should remain on the record so that you have an accurate account of what was said if needed for the judge or for a later motion. So if the defending lawyer says to the reporter, let's go off the record, you should immediately tell the reporter to stay on the record for this discussion. You've got a reporter sitting there who can document every word that's spoken. Don't forfeit that advantage. Finally, remember that Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 30D3A and most state equivalents allow you to seek relief for deposition misconduct, which includes improper objections, but the rule says that you must act, quote, at any time during a deposition, close quote. That language is critical. Courts have said that if you allow the deposition to continue and conclude, you can no longer seek relief under this subsection because you're no longer seeking the relief during the deposition. 
There may be other forms of relief available under your rules or under your governing case law, but not this one, which most directly pertains to the situation at hand. All right, so right after I answered that initial email from the listener, I got a follow-up email, very thoughtful, that asked the following. Well, how would you deal with a straight, quote, objective form, vague objection? Is the word vague problematic, since it is essentially another way of saying that the lawyer doesn't understand the question? Would you consider that coaching as well? My answer on that is, it just depends. Once or twice in the deposition, maybe not. Some courts do consider vagueness objections to be coaching because mention of the word, exactly as the listener suggested, mention of the word vague itself sends a message to the deponent and because vagueness objections are covered within the generic category of form objections. For the most part, simply saying objection vague is a little less offensive than the lawyer trying to engage me in dialogue. But if a lawyer continually objects on grounds of vagueness, and if it's clear to me that the witness is cueing off that or otherwise being affected such that my examination is starting to go into the ditch, yes, I will engage in the same dialogue as if the lawyer were directly asking me what the question meant. All right, footnote on that, just for purposes of completeness. Some courts take the view that merely saying objection form isn't enough, uh, that a lawyer should mention the specific legal ground so the examining lawyer knows exactly what the perceived defect is and can cure it if they want. But most courts say that the word form is enough. This divergence of judicial view on how to make a form objection, by the way, is reflected in the Security National Bank decision in the show notes if you want to take a look at that. But in most jurisdictions, here's the bottom line. If lawyers defending a deposition believe a question is improper, they have three choices. They can object to the question and allow the deposition to proceed while preserving the objection. They can instruct the witness not to answer, generally to preserve a privilege or to enforce a court-ordered limitation if there is one. Or the lawyers can suspend the deposition and bring a motion to terminate or limit the deposition if it's being conducted in bad faith or if it's being conducted for the purpose of unreasonably annoying, embarrassing, or oppressing the deponent or party. So the rules are pretty tight in most jurisdictions, state or federal, on what we can say as litigators when we're defending a deposition. And the reason for that is this, the framework surrounding depositions is meant to be self-regulating, meaning that it's a process that's designed specifically to allow lawyers to conduct depositions without the presence of judicial officers and to allow lawyers to object to questions that are improper without engaging in dialogue directly with the examiner. All right, let's end very quickly with some practice tips. One, always start your depositions by making it clear to the deponent that if the deponent does not understand the question, the witness should immediately say so. Two, make clear to the witness that it's the witness's job, not the defending lawyer's job, to tell you if they don't understand the question. There are actually a few cases in the show notes that advise lawyers to do this, to tell the witnesses it's your job to let me know if you don't understand the question in order to minimize problems throughout the deposition. Three, do not accept the defending lawyer's invitation to have conversation in the middle of your examination. As I said before, that's a loser's game. Nothing good comes from that. Now again, I acknowledge that there are some circumstances where a lawyer might in good faith ask for clarification and you might, in good faith, respond. 
But this isn't about the rare case. This is about lawyers that do this purposefully to disrupt your examination. Point number four, if it happens more than once and you feel it's going to affect the testimony, stop at that point and engage the defending lawyer in a conferral about the coaching. Point number five, do not go off the record to have your conferral. You've got a very high-priced note-taker sitting at the end of the table that can capture every word. Take advantage of that. If you go off the record, things are likely to go from bad to worse. So absolutely keep the reporter typing as you have that conferral. Point number six, hand the lawyer a set of cases like the ones in the show notes that specifically characterize requests for clarification as impermissible and frequently sanctionable coaching. You are miles ahead in a deposition dispute when you may need to call the judge while the deposition is in progress if you have your folder with cases on these points and can tell the judge that you actually provided the cases to the defending lawyer before you decide to call the court. And final point, if you do need to call the judge, be sure to have your cases handy and be sure the reporter will be able to quickly find multiple references in the transcript where the reporter can tell the judge exactly what the defending lawyer or lawyers said. All right, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. By the way, I want to thank all of you who've taken the time to leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. It's a tremendous thank you to our research staff that work on these podcasts, and I promise you they're thrilled every time they see another five-star review pop up. If you haven't done it yet, please take 60 seconds, navigate to the spot where you get your podcast, where you can scroll down and leave us a five-star rating. We sure do appreciate it. All right, have a great day.